Welcome back as the IFC presents another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus. We've got a great episode for you. Today, we welcome back Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai, joined by Dr. Eric Tomlinson and Dr. Lisa Hong to continue our discussion about the hero's journey, the devil with the three golden hairs. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. So without any further ado, Dr. Al-Samurai, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. I'm Dr. Wahab Al-Samurai. With me today, as always, the Wrecking Crew. Dr. Lisa Hong is here with us, and Dr. Eric Tomlinson is here with us. And today, we're going to take you on the journey of the devil with the three golden hairs. But you've never heard of the devil with the three golden hairs, but we're going to take you there. Okay. So... In this very tale, this is chapter four of von Franz's collective works <clears throat> of the archetypal symbols in fairy tales. This is uh, the second volume, which is um, the hero's journey. Okay, so in this journey, the devil with the three golden hairs, um, the hero is setting out on a journey. Um, but the hero already is in trouble because um, the power that be, the king's power, is um, doesn't want to be usurped by this young and flashy hero, this hero that's going to take the reward, that's going to create the fame. Um, the king sees that this hero might be a danger. So this hero is, uh, in the stories before, we talked about the heroes who didn't know they were heroes. They were reluctant, they were um, normal, they were not really special. Um, um, they could be looked at as, um, having some form of disability. Um, but now this is this story changes. So without further ado, let's get in the story. It's a long story. So uh, Dr. Eric and Dr. Lisa are gonna uh, split the story and um, into parts and read it out. So here we go. Okay. <clears throat> There once was a poor woman who gave birth to a little son. And as he came into the world with a call, it was predicted that in his 14th year, he would have the king's daughter for his wife. It happened that soon afterwards, the king came into the village, but no one knew that he was the king. He asked the people what news there was, and they answered, a child has just been born with a call. Whatever anyone so born undertakes will turn out well. It is prophesied, too, that in his 14th year, he will have the king's daughter for his wife. The king, who had a bad heart and was angry about the prophecy, went to the parents and feigning charity said, you poor people, let me have your child. I'll take care of it. At first, they refused, but when the stranger offered them a large amount of gold for their child, they thought, it is a good luck child, and everything must turn out well for us. 
At last, they consented and gave the child to the king. The king put the child in a box and rode away with it until he came to a deep stretch of water. Then he threw the box into it and thought, now I have freed my daughter from her unwanted suitor. The box did not sink, however, but floated like a boat and not a drop of water made its way into it. And it floated to with two mi within two miles of the king's chief city where there was a mill and it came to a standstill at the mill dam. A miller's boy who by good luck was standing there noticed it and pulled it out with a hook thinking that he had found a great treasure but when he opened it there laid a pretty boy inside quite fresh and lively he took him to the miller and his wife and as they had no children they were very glad and said god has given him to us they took great care of the foundling and he grew up in all goodness it happened that once in a storm the king went into the mill and he asked the mill folk if the tall youth was their son. No, they answered. He was, he's a foundling. 14 years ago, he floated down to the mill dam in a box and the mill boy pulled him out of the water. Then the king knew that it was none other than the lucky child that he had thrown into the water. And he said, my good people, could not the youth take a letter to the queen? I'll give him two pieces of gold as a reward. As the king commands, they answered, and they told the boy to hold himself in readiness. Then the king wrote a letter to the queen, wherein he said, as soon as the boy arrives with this letter, let him be killed and buried, and almost all must be done before I come home. The boy set out with this letter, but he lost his way. And in the evening came to a large forest. In the darkness, he saw a small light. He went towards it and reached a cottage. When he went in, an old woman was sitting by the fire, quiet, uh, quite alone. She started, or yeah, she started when she saw the boy and said, whence do you come and whither are you going? I come from the mill, he answered, and wish to go to the queen, to whom I am taking a letter but I have lost my way in the forest and I should like to stay here overnight. You poor boy, said the woman, you have come into a den of thieves and when they come home, they will kill you. Let them come, said the boy. I'm not afraid, but I am so tired that I, that I cannot go any farther. And he stretched himself upon a bench and fell asleep. Soon afterwards, the robbers came and asked what strange boy was lying there. Ah, said the old woman. It is an innocent child who has lost himself in the forest. And out of pity, I have let him come in. He has to take a letter to the queen. The robbers opened the letter and read it. And in it was written that the boy, as soon as he arrived, should be put to death. Then the robbers tore up the letter and wrote another, saying that as soon as the boy arrived, he should be married at once to the king's daughter. Then they let him lie quietly on the bench until the next morning. And when he awoke, they gave him the letter and showed him the right way. The queen, when she had received the letter and read it, did as was written in it and had a splendid wedding feast prepared. And the king's daughter was married to the lucky child. And, the, and as the youth was handsome and agreeable, she lived with him in joy and contentment. 
After some time, the king returned to his palace and saw that the prophecy was fulfilled and that the lucky child had married his daughter. The king was in a passion and said, you shall not have everything quite so much your own way. Whosoever marries my daughter must fetch me from hell three golden hairs from the head of the devil. Bring me what I want and you shall keep my daughter. In this way, the king hoped to be rid of him forever. Thereupon, he took leave of them and began his journey. The road led him to a large town where the watchman by the gates asked him what his trade was and what he knew. I know everything, answered the lucky child. Then you can do us a favor, said the watchman. If you will tell us why our market foundation that once flowed with wine has become dry and no longer gives even water. That you shall know, answered he. Only wait until I come back. Then he went farther and came to another town. And there also the gatekeeper asked him what his trade was and what he knew. I know everything, answered he. Then you can do us a favor and tell us why a tree in our town that once bore golden apples now does not even put forth leaves. You shall know that, answered he. Only wait until I come back. Then he went on and came to a wide river over which he had to cross. The ferryman asked him what his trade was and what he knew. I know everything, answered he. Then you can do me a favor, said the ferryman, and tell me why I must always be rowing backwards and forwards and am never set free. You shall know that, answered he. Only wait until I come back. When he had crossed the water, he found the entrance to hell. It was black and sooty within. The devil was not at home, but his grandmother was sitting in an armchair. What do you want? She said to him. I would like to have three golden hairs from the devil's head, answered he, else I cannot keep my wife. That is a good deal to ask for, said she. If the devil comes home and finds you, it will cost you your life. But as I pity you, I will see if I can help you. He changed him into an ant and said, creep into the folds of my dress, you will be safe there. Yes, answered he, so far, so good. But there are three things besides that I want to know. Why a fountain which once flowed with wine has become dry and no longer gives even water? Why a tree which once bore golden fruit apples does not even put forth leaves? And why a ferryman must always be going backwards and forwards and is never set free? Those are difficult questions, answered she, but only be silent and quiet and pay attention to what the devil says when I pull out three golden hairs. As the evening came on, the devil returned home. No sooner had he entered than he noticed that the air was not pure. I smell man's flesh, said he, all is not right here. Then he pried into every corner and searched but could not find anything. His grandmother scolded him. It has just been swept, said she, and everything put in order, and now you are upsetting it again. You always have got man's flesh in your nose. Sit down and eat your supper. When he had eaten and drunk, he was tired and laid his head in his grandmother's lap. And before long, he was fast asleep, snoring and breathing heavily. Then the old woman took, a, took hold of a golden hair, pulled it out, 
and laid it down near her. Ow, cried the devil, what are you doing? I have had a bad dream, answered the grandmother, so I seized hold of your hair. What did you dream then, said the devil. I dreamed that a fountain in the marketplace from which wine once flowed was dried up and not even water would flow out of it. What is the cause of it? Oh, if they did but know it, answered the devil, there's a toad sitting under a stone in the well. If they killed it, the wine would flow again. He went to sleep again and snored until the window shook. Then she pulled out a second hair. Ha, what are you doing? cried the devil angrily. Do not take ill, said she. I did it in a dream. What have you dreamt this time, said he. I dreamt that in a certain kingdom there stood an apple tree which once bore golden apples, but now would not even bear leaves. What, think you, was the reason? Oh, if they did, but no, answered the devil. A mouse is gnawing at the root. If they killed it, they would have golden apples again. If it, it gnaws much longer, the tree will wither altogether. But leave me alone with your dreams. If you disturb me in my sleep again, you will get a box on the ear. The grandmother waited until he fell asleep again. Then she took hold of the third golden hair and pulled it up. The devil jumped up, roared out, and would have treated her ill if she had not quieted him once more and said, who can help bad dreams? What was the dream then? asked he. I dreamt of a ferryman who complained that he must always ferry from one side to the other and was never released. What is the cause of it? Ah, oh, the fool. When anyone comes and wants to go across, he must put the oar in his hand and the other man will have to ferry and he will be set free. As the grandmother had plucked out the three golden hairs and the three questions were answered, she let the old serpent alone and he slept until daybreak. When the devil had gone out again, the old woman took the ant out of the folds of her dress and gave the lucky child his human shape again and gave him the three golden hairs. The answers he had heard for himself. He thanked the old woman and was on his way. When he came to the ferryman, he was expected to give the promised answer. Ferry me across first, said the good luck child, and then I will tell you how you can be set free. And when he reached the opposite shore, he gave him the devil's advice. The next time anyone comes who wants to be ferried over, just put the oar in their hand. He went on and came to the town in which the unfruitful tree grew. There, the young man told the watchman what he had heard from the devil. Kill the mouse that is gnawing at its root, and it will again bear golden apples. Then the watchman thanked him and gave him a reward, two asses lading laden with gold. At last he came to the town whose well was dry. He told the watchman what the devil had said. A toad is in the well beneath a stone. You must find it and kill it, and the well will then again give wine in plenty. The watchman thanked him and also gave him two asses laden with gold. At last the good luck child got home to his wife, who was heartily glad to see him again. To the king, he took the devil's three golden hairs, and when the king saw the four asses laden with gold, he was quite content and said, now all of the conditions are fulfilled, and you can keep my daughter. But tell me, dear son-in-law, where did all that gold come from? 
I was rowed across the river, answered he, and when I got to the other side, gold was lying on the shore instead of sand. The king set out in all haste, and when he came to the river, he beckoned the ferryman to put him across. The ferryman came and bade him to get in, and when they got to the other shore, he put the oar in his hand and sprang out. But from this time forth, the king had to ferry as a punishment for his sins. Perhaps he is ferrying still. If he is, it is because no one has taken the oar from him. Great story. It really is. It's a really good story. You want to talk about it a little bit? Go ahead, Eric. Um, well, interesting, interestingly, the first part of it reminded me of the Old Testament story of Moses and, and how he was put, you know, in a basket down a river and was found and the king at the time, Ramses, well, Ramses became king. The king's son uh, wanted to kill him, didn't, didn't want him around. So I'm not saying it's, it, it's, an, it's a parallel story, but it just reminded me because I've seen that motif in other stories other than the Old Testament one and this one. So it's obviously a common theme. Tell me about the motif that you're seeing, Eric. Um, could you be a little more specific? Are you describing the motif, the, what, the, the parallels of uh, just a child, a helpless child being um, put in a basket floating in a river motif, or does it go beyond that? Um, it, it it goes beyond in the sense that the, that's what happens to the child either in the stories that I've read, either because he's in danger and it's always a male child, either because he's in danger or there was a hope that the people who set the boy in the, in the basket down the river would be found by someone that would be able to provide for him. So it's usually those kinds of motivations as to why behind why the child was sent down the river. It's a prophetic child. Mm -hmm. A prophetic child is sent down the river. The prophetic child comes with all their knowledge intact. They're born into the world and they know what um, they understand the world and they understand the world better than the people who live in the world. They're the divine child. The child who has the wisdom has the wisdom to see what is unseen and is will become king it's the, the divine child that will take on the archetypal role of the king um, but they have to p pass through um, a test and they pass through the test uh, deep within the underworld only a divine child can go deep within the underworld and come out of the deep the underworld. The underworld is where Tartarus is, is where the unconscious is, where Hades is, excuse me, where Hades is, is where the devil lives. And once you go down into the underworld, you can't get out of the underworld unless you're divine. 
unless you know the secret of how to enter and how to leave, unless you know how to, so him walking in, um, he had three questions, right? He didn't have to work at it. So this is what makes him divine. He did not have to work on it. He was transformed into an ant. And in that form, he was able to intake the answers from the devil. The devil never knew he was wrong because he was an ant. So he could never sense him. He could never sense the divine child because it's an ant. It's an insect. It's, uh, it's not an insect. Is it an insect? insect. It's an ant. Something so minuscule compared to a living, breathing person. It's an ant, it's a teeny tiny ant. And that's what he is able to absorb the information, take the information and then leave Hades. Now, when you travel out of Hades, you have to take the ferryman. The only way into Hades is the ferryman. And you always have to pay the ferryman. The ferryman is not gonna take you across. You have to pay the ferryman before you get on the ferry. It's a one-way journey. And in the one-way journey, you had three pieces of gold. You had to pay the ferryman three pieces of gold. He had three wishes. In this case, three riddles. In this case, three questions. So they change. At first, it's a riddle. Right? And then it becomes a question. And then he gets the answers, and then he's able to take those and flow back. He is hidden from the devil, and he is given the three golden whiskers, which helps him cross back. Because each whisker gives him an answer to a question. The first one is, where is the source of life, and how does the source of life, why is the source of life not flowing? It's the first question. Because wine was seen as a source of life. It's a source of the divine. It's given from the gods. It's like, how can you make this out of these small things that sit on a vine? How is it that you can make this wine? It must be divine. So it must be a come from the gods. So the first thing is how to restore the source. How does the blessing? The second one is how to restore um, the food of the earth. the fruit, the apple, the forbidden fruit, how to restore the forbidden fruit, the tree of knowledge. And the third one is to free the ferryman. The ferryman is basically a slave. His sentence in the underworld is 
to ferry people across and come back and forth and can never be free. So that's his damnation, right? The only way he is free, if somebody is more evil than him, comes and relieves him by taking the oar. The king comes because of his greed. He comes to take the oar. He takes over and then he's damned to be the ferryman. So what is damning about being the ferryman? You make it to the other side, but you can never leave. Your job is to watch people come across and usually one direction. So you travel in the other direction without anybody. <clears throat> so as Dr. Eric said, this is actually several mythological fairy tales woven into one. But actually all those other magical fairy tales come from this fairy tale or vice versa. Because Dr. this fairy tale Dr. is a construction, yes. Dr. Lahab, I just, I just found this. These type, the basic types of this fate are the Sargon legend, the Ooh. story of Krishna, the birth of Moses, uh, Perseus, Oedipus, and Romulus, and also in many fairy tales where the hero is usually set out, abandoned, or exposed in a basket, chest, or box, which was a symbol of the nourishing womb. Ooh. So Sargon is the Assyrians. So this is one of the oldest tales. And so the religious motifs that come after it come from Sargon, come from this tale. So the, the Babylonians also wrote the Great Flood, the, the two rivers basically flood and the Moses, the, Moses, sorry about that. Um, what is his name? Takes on two of each. Takes on two animals. Oh, Noah. Noah. Noah, Noah takes on two animals on each. Anyway, this is uh, originally, this is a Babylonian story about the Euphrates and Tigris flooding and flooding the middle, flooding the countryside because people lived on these river plains. And so it's like the flood that covered the world. So that one of those stories comes from that later becomes Noah's story. Yeah, that's true because, because the, the Sargon story and, and the uh, Babylonian story predates the Hebrew story by quite a bit. Yeah. So these stories are interrelated, uh, the myths, the, the archetypal mythology is ever present and ever changing, ever connected. So it gives us these stories. Um, what Jung talks about is that the mythology is our psychology. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, going into the unconscious, going into the underworld and the story of the hero, this, the hero's journey. In this case, it is the divine's journey, is the hero as divine, as the archetype of the divine. Every child is divine. Every child represents a new hope, a new, um, a new road forward. 
a change of lifestyle, a change of uh, destinies, a change of uh, the way one family sees itself um, in the world. All of these are laid upon the heavy, heavy uh, the, the very broad shoulders of this little baby and sent out into the world. But these babies usually have the power, they already know they're born as um, they're already complete. That's how you know they're divine. They already understand you. Even though they're physically smaller and they're still developing physically, they already know, they're wiser. People come to talk to them and ask them for advice and consult with them. People come to them and see them as the, the future. Oedipus Rex. The story of Oedipus Rex is that uh, um, Oedipus's mother's uh, father um, went to a seer and told, um, told his father that he was gonna uh, kill him. And so he banished him. So the shepherd that took Oedipus couldn't kill him and gave him to another family to raise. And one day on the road back into the city, he has a fight with a nobleman and he kills him. And he goes back to the city and marries his wife and becomes king later to realize that he had killed his father and married his mother. And then he took out his eyes and had his daughter guide him as he wandered the earth as a blind man. So these are some of the stories of the divine child, what happens to the divine child. It's not always a good story and not always a good ending for the divine child, as we know from um, Christ's story, as we know from other stories. Divine child is not always um, survive um, the story. They're usually sacrificial in the story. They transform. Their sacrifices are transform transformation of sorts. They become the God. They move from the divine to the God. So. No, fascinating story. One thing that strikes me <clears throat> about him, and it's very similar again to the story of Moses, is that once they start their journey, they uh, they never lose their dignity. They never lose their calling. They never lose sight of their purpose. They stay strong and, and believe they're going to do what they were meant to do. And, uh, and that's, that's a level of understanding one's purpose and courage and motivation that is quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think yeah, I think you said you, you said the key word at the beginning, which is this is a calling. For them, it's a calling. You've you you are waiting for your calling. They have a calling. They're not waiting for their calling. They have a calling. It's just a matter of time before anybody knocks on the door and says, hey, it's time. The calling is already there. It's transcribed. <clears throat> so they set out. Different type of hero. The divine child. Although every hero is divine, this child already knows its calling. Where the other children, the hero discovers on the way through the journey. This child already knew. Lisa. Yes, I, I um, also remarked in that, in that this, there wasn't the active transformation that we typically see in the character. The child really goes into the story, experiences the challenge, and exits with the same affect that he went in with. Mm. Uh, he was not afraid. Mm. It was stated there, not yeah. afraid. I am not afraid. I'm in a thieves den, I'm not afraid. I know what I need. I know what, I know what my boundaries are, this is what I need. I'm not afraid. He went directly into the devil's house, this is what I need. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's not afraid. Yeah, he goes into point. the devil's house. That's yeah. right. <laughs> he goes into the devil's house I with a hits. list of questions. <laughs> I have three questions I need answered. He goes, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, this, is, this is perfect. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. It's like, yeah. Because they're, because they're conscious of what Dr. Eric said, the calling. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, I am, I've already been called. I have a calling. Mm -hmm. You know, when somebody says they have a calling, they're just waiting for the call. It doesn't matter what the calling is. They're waiting for the call. They already know. They're already dialed in to that purpose. Now, they might not know that the purpose is to go halfway across the world and save children in Africa or uh, in Latin America or in the United States or in China. It doesn't matter. They might not know the specifics of the calling, but they've been waiting for the ringer to go off, mm -hmm. right? So they, they've already known. So this kid already knows he's, he's been called. He's, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, okay, so I'm not afraid to, to just get this over with. The king knows, the king knows this kid is going to achieve this. So the king's fear is the, how, how difficult can I make it for him so he doesn't come back just in case? How can I make this pay off for me? Right? And it's his need for payoff that ends him with the ore of the ferryman. Yes. The king's fear of loss of power or status Hastes yep. him to make very um, petty mistakes that right. <laughs> cost him everything at the end. That's right. Um, yeah, and and they're not and they're not very well thought out nor executed. 
That's right. It's like when you get older and you start feeling lost mm -hmm. and you start like, oh my God, I'm going to lose this. Oh my God, I'm going to lose this. Oh my God, I'm going to lose it. Well, that's kind of process, you know, that's how we age and we kind of lose the stuff and give it away. And otherwise the state, the state takes it, whatever. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. but this is the process of life. This is how life goes. Um, when we cannot accept it, when we refuse to accept it is when um, we do, we are basically actively in a mode of uh, in conflict with the process of individuation, of change, of growth, of, you know, transformation from one thing as, to another. Yeah, and sometimes that can be seen as a self-sabotage. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're you're sabotaging your own process. Mm -hmm. Your process is to, you know, for somebody to take over. Mm -hmm. you, you know, as you slowly age and get tired, you slowly bring in the young kids and say, okay, you're gonna have this half, you're gonna take this half, you guys take care of each other. And that's kind of the process. And then you move, you go. And when you go, they take over and move on and then they pass on the process. It's when these processes are um, disrupted or destroyed, then um, the archetypal energies are disrupted. And thus that causes more ripple effects. Mm -hmm. The archetypal activities for us are yeah. So in the archetypal activity of the divine child, divine child, it doesn't matter where he goes or where she goes. They're divine. They're going to come out like a hair um, out of um, um, out of flower. You're just going to pull it out. It's One always going to be separate. One thing I enjoyed about this divine hero child storyline that's unique from the other ones that we've read is um, so in a lot of the other previous stories, the hero grows and develops and transforms into a uh, more of a defined um, self. Uh, in this story, the child's already there, but still has challenges, still has a calling that he is uh, just must do and is compelled to do. And when he completes them, um, because he's already in a more developed state, he actually is able, it transcends his self and expands to others. Mm -hmm. and, and, he, and his growth benefits his community and, and the people around him for yeah. um, and yeah. the people that he affects. No, absolutely, yeah, because he saves them from the tyrant king, um, and therefore prosperity um, envelopes the land, you know, mm -hmm. as in the King Arthur tale, um, where equals sit at the table, uh, where fruit and grain grow in the fields, where there's plenty for your population, where they don't feel... Um, harsh times or hunger or disease or waste that things flourish because the divine child becomes king. Arthur was the divine child. 
Arthur was the child who would pull Excalibur from the stone. You know, that was, that was written that he would become um, the divine king and that he would be a fair king, right? So we judge fair kings by the legend or mythology of Arthur. Uh, what was Arthur? Was Arthur a divine king? Was he a good king? Was he a compassionate king? Well, these are fairy tales and myths, but um, there's a reason for them. There's a reason for the way the myth is told because it is telling a story of how to be in the world. So if you're ever king, this is how to be a good king. Uh, if you're ever a warrior, Lancelot is the warrior you wanna be. If you wanna be the seeker, then you become Percival. He is the seeker. This is what a seeker does, you know? Uh, what does a queen do? She's like Guinevere. She gives to the poor, she cares for everybody. And, now, even within them, they have faults. Guinevere sleeps with Lancelot. She breaks Arthur's heart. Arthur ages in disgrace and pain. I mean, there's other things that are going on at the same time. Um, but that's why it's a myth. <clears throat> Another thing I really enjoyed <clears throat> looking at uh, is the, it's just like, how sociopaths in general can understand how to manipulate human emotions just about better than anyone. I know you're going and, to bring it somehow back to the divine child. And well, no, I'm going to bring this back to, to the devil. Oh, okay. Uh, because the devil, he's the one that really understood destructiveness and what was going on. Uh, yeah. And, and he had, I mean, he was, he wasn't just going to reveal that information. It took another really destructive, but wiser destructive person, his grandmother to, to manipulate it out of him. It takes and, one to no one. Yeah. And it was just, it just struck me funny that, you know, the person who had the secrets to the destructiveness that was going on in the other people's lives he got manipulated out. He got manipulated to give up the secrets. Yeah. I mean, destructiveness, one of the things the devil knows. The other thing that the devil knows all too well is that there are no limits to desire. That's the trick. The trick is there's no limits to desire. Therefore, I can manipulate that because you don't have limits to your desire. It's not okay for you to have like two drinks. You want to have 100 drinks. You don't want to have one partner. You want 20 partners. You don't want to have one house. You want 100 houses. You don't want the one bank account. You want 1,000 bank accounts. So the devil always knows that desire has no limits. And that if desire has no limits, then I could play with you mm -hmm. because I could feed the idea that why should you have limits? Desire has no limits. You don't need limits. Why do you need limits? And that's how I can mess with you. And then that's just the, 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 
the brilliance of the devil. The brilliance is, is like, well, desire has no limit. And I am all about desire. Mm -hmm. I am all about feeding all your addictions. All the things you think make you who you are, I can feed them. And you thought you could only feed them a little bit. I can show you ways to feed them a lot. I could show you how you could feed them forever. And then the trick is desire never ends, therefore you never end. And therefore you could stay because you have desire. And that's, that's where you get stuck. And that's how you get stuck on that roller coaster that you never find your way off of. The devil knows. I was watching, um, I think you guys should uh, take a look at it. Um, but on HBO, they have uh, an animated movie called Constantine, City of Demons. There's a part in the movie early on where Constantine has all these little small pieces that look like him, but have like um, really sharp teeth and that are sticking out. And so he goes, he's starting to kill them. You know, they're demons. So he's killing them and he says, who, who are you? And they go, well, we're pieces of you. And he says, oh, it's my <laughs> fault. I should have been awake because as soon as I was going to sleep, the door between my conscious mind and my unconscious mind let all these pieces of me out. And they're acting independent of him. They're acting crazy. They're trying to like uh, eat him up or something. And he's like tossing them all over the place. And I was looking at, I was thinking of the complexes and that were the complexes were sitting in front of me was fighting it out with them. And he's like, who are you? And they're like, well, we're pieces of you. And suddenly when you look at them, they, they shift the camera from looking at him to them. They're wearing his trench coat. <laughs> and they have all these teeth coming out. But so um, it's those aspects of us that have been denied, that have been disassociated, that are unknown, um, that become associated with uh, evil. They're so, they're so disconnected from us. So when we're staring at them, it's like, oh my God, what is that? It's the devil. And that, that disconnection is the danger. Look closer. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You just need to well, open there, your eyes. There's a saying that the things oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the things that we despise the most in other people uh, are really a reflection of the same thing that we really haven't resolved ourselves. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Young yeah, yeah, says the 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 shadow the definition of the shadow is um, the projection of all the things that I 
um, do not tolerate within myself towards the other. And so everything that I hate about me, I project it onto you. And therefore you become the object of my hate or anger or dread or racism or sexism or whatever ism you want to put it because that person starts to carry that. Even entire nations, we have projected that onto. The former uh, Soviet Union, we projected it onto all the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union is a huge place. It had, it had um, more than a hundred different type of um, societies who were living there. The Chechens, the, the Kazakhs, the, the, there were the, there tons of different ethnic groups that lived in that area. But we, we just saw it as the Red Menace. There was one word for it. It was huge. And it was one thing. You know, we haven't really been, we're not that sophisticated. We haven't like really evolved over 6 million years. We kind of evolved, but we still see um, something, one thing, and then we see all of it as dangerous. The same thing happened with COVID. We freaked out. It's a virus. It's like we've been facing viruses for millions of years. They evolved with us. But suddenly, it was like, oh my God, there's a virus. There's a virus. It's like, uh huh, there's a virus. And I'm like, uh huh. But it was the scariest thing anybody had seen because it's like, it's a virus. Like it didn't exist before. No, viruses have always existed. Our conscious, our conscious ability um, and to recognize what is in our environment and what is part of us, that's lacking. It really is. <laughs> that's a great point. It really is lacking. It's, it's stunning at times. Yeah, it is. Is it not, Eric? Like, that's a profound point. Yeah, it really is. I, I just, it's stunning. I'm like, I see it. Like, okay, it's a virus. Uh-huh. Same th the same reaction I had about AIDS. I knew AIDS was a virus. Like, yeah, it was in the bloodstream. Yet yeah, then you could, yeah, but it was a virus. And they used that to paint people who um, were gay and homosexual as, um, they, they called it the, the gay plague when they, they were the carriers of death, basically. So, but it was a virus. And somehow they made themselves believe that it only affected um, the homosexual population, which is insane. But this was from government down. This was from Reagan down to people in his cabinet. They believed that. Yeah. So, and they preached it. Not much has changed. They're still, they still talk about things and they still, they give easy explanations for things. The uh, Trump and friends started calling it uh, the, the Chinese virus. Like it has a country and a passport. 
Viruses don't have countries and passports. It's a virus. It, <laughs> anyway, so I will keep my opinion to myself on this show. <laughs> All right, I'm just joking. I'll keep it till next week. Next week, we will be back on the IFC's Individuation Podcast, where you will hear about viruses and much, much more. But today, actually, we talked about, <laughs> we had a great story for you today. So I hope you enjoyed our story. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you would like us to add or include anything in the discussion, we'd be happy to. Um, if you have any questions for us, we'd be happy to read your questions. I know uh, you sent, you ask us questions, but um, maybe we, we should have your questions on the show. So let's have some uh, questions for our show. We'd like to answer some questions like, um, Dr. Lahab, do you believe that archetypes exist everywhere? And we're like, yes, I do. Um, are you insane? Yes, I am, because I do believe archetypes live everywhere. They, they pop up because we're here. They're here. And even if we weren't here, they'd still be here, some form. Anyway. Yeah, we can't escape them. Anyway, it's good to uh, be back with the gang. And as always, we are the Institute for Conflicts Individuation Podcast. Um, I am Dr. Lahab El Samurai, and with me as always, Dr. Eric Tomlinson and Dr. Lisa Hung, and we at the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We would like to bid you farewell. And as we always, with our send off, I am not afraid. We are not, I am not afraid. I am not afraid. We are the IFC, and we are not afraid, and we will see you uh, next week for another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Eric Tomlinson, Dr. Lisa Hong, and Dr. Al Samurai. We'd also like to thank Eric and Lisa for taking the time to join us. You can also find us on the IFC's YouTube Make sure to check out the JAMP Institute for Training as Magicians Call podcast as well. Tune in again next time to the IFC's Individuation Podcast for another episode soon.